Hey, this is Greg, producer of the Mickey Dudes podcast. Joining me on the controls tonight, hailing from the Constitution State, one of our hosts of the Mickey Dudes podcast, Mr. Pat Gennetti. Hey, Pat, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you tonight? I am all smiley faces, I've got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm a little I'm a little excited right now. <laughs> uh-huh. You know we have a very special guest tonight, right? Yes, we do. Now, I don't want to spoil the magic just yet. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tease it a little bit. Or, you know what? Here's a riddle, okay? Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If you can't find him tearing it up at the gym or working on a project in the studio, then you can always find him in several locations on WDW property at the same time. Interesting, huh? Very interesting. All right, so do you want to know who we're talking about? Yes, 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 I do. All right, come on over, grab yourself a chair, and join us in the corner chat. I'm really excited and honored to welcome our guest. Not only is he a huge sports nut, much like ourselves, but he's got a wicked awesome green thumb. He's a true Renaissance man, and might I add, Pennsylvania native, all-around good guy, and Disney master artist, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kevin John Jubinski. Hey, Kevin John. Hey, guys. How are y'all doing? Fantastic. Thanks for joining us in the corner of chat. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm coming to you live from Kevin John's Mono Tiki Tia Lounge. Fantastic. My new, my new in-studio, well, kind of in-studio, Tiki Lounge. I'm just relaxing here, talking to you guys, talking Disney and sports and everything else. So and what, what, what could be better, right? That's right, and we're looking forward to it. Hey, congratulations on 29 <laughs> years of being a professional artist. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. And we just, just eclipsed that. I tell you, it's, uh, it's been, it's been a, a wonderful ride. Um, 30 years coming up a... Uh, Oh, a year from now, and, and we've got all kinds of uh, exciting things planned to celebrate that. So thank you. Thanks very much. It's very Absolutely. Awesome. Well, based based on your youthful looks, I'm going to say you started uh, professionally at about the age of 12 or so, right? <laughs> Not too far off. No, uh, I believe it. 17 years old I was when I, um, I was a senior in high school um, back at McDowell High in Erie, Pennsylvania when I began selling my work professionally. Yeah, and I, I love seeing those pictures on Facebook of you when you know when you were that young. It, there is a tad bit of a difference if you look at your pictures from today <laughs> to then. I'm not gonna mention what's different, you know, but there's a few things, you know, you might be a little bigger, a little stronger. Thanks, thanks. Well, you know, we have to keep up with current current fashions. I mean that was the eighties, so we had <laughs> uh, we had a little bit of a had a little bit of a different style back back then and, and one that I, I miss but nevertheless uh, we must move forward well the 80s are my favorite decade so I am I am totally with you there so nice nice in the intro I'd mentioned that you are a Disney master artist can you explain to our listeners what exactly is that and if you wouldn't mind giving us a little background about yourself sure sure well thank you in, in basically in a nutshell I provide original fine art for the Art of Disney galleries and the gift shop on property here at Walt Disney World and at Disneyland. The direction from Disney is that I really focus on depicting in art the things that we love about the Disney parks. 
from the characters that are found in the parks themselves, like the Hatbox Ghost or Figment, um, mm-hmm. to the actual park experiences or attractions like the Tower of Terror or the Haunted Mansion or the Tiki Room. I have been under contract with Disney now for three years, and how that came about really is, I would love to tell you that I submitted all kinds of artwork and have been paintings of Mickey and Minnie since I was five years old and all of that sort of thing, but it's not the truth. Um, The truth is that over the last uh, nearly 30 years, I have built my Kevin John brand of art to to national prominence and um, had a pretty successful portfolio and kind, I kind of paint with a with a stylized realism I think that it fit what Disney needed so they approached me to to kind of sign on with them to provide this special type of art um, they have lots of wonderful character artists that create paintings and artwork featuring I guess you would call it the film-related characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they didn't have was a lot of artists that were creating the realism and the theme park experience that we love. And that's, that's really what they, they tapped me for, um, working on a piece, the next piece is a Pirates of the Caribbean piece. So we can talk about that, but that's, essentially that's really how I came to be with Disney. And I've always been a, a huge fan of Disney, both Walt himself, I mean, I used his work ethic and his career as, as a bit of a template for my own company, and how could we have not have been influenced by everything from the Mickey Mouse Club to movies, both animated and real-life adventure that we have grew up with with the Disney company, and then as an adult, I really came to love vacationing at the Disney parks. I think for me, that's what I love most about the company is the Disney parks. And that's what I'm able to create artwork based on. So it's, it's really a, a, a fantastic fit. And I'm a huge Disney fan. And so it's, a, it's sort of a dream come true. Never in a million years did I think that I would be creating art for Walt's company. It, it's very surreal, even, even this far into it. When did the Disney bug bite you? Again, that's Disney as a brand has always been a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I was born in 1969, so I grew up with you know the wonderful world of Disney on television. I grew up with those with the movies. I've always had an interest in the, the products that they that the company put out. It's, just something that really that I really could identify with. Mm-hmm. I did always love the the live action films as well. Those type of things. I, I love the Mickey Mouse Club and the, the Spin and Marty and and those live action things, both television shows and the movies. Um, Herbie the Love Bug, all of that yeah. kind of stuff. You, you know. So I guess I was bitten almost immediately, but. I guess being maybe less a bug and more like a vampire, <laughs> Disney <laughs> continued to <laughs> to gnaw on my neck as I as I grew older. You know, even through my teens, I can remember loving the the products that Disney put out and being fascinated by the Disney parks. I was able to visit on vacation Disneyland when I was eight, nine, and ten. We lived we actually lived in California for a little while. 
So I visited the Disney parks then, or Disneyland, I should say. Never went to Disney World until 1998 mm. uh, as an adult, mm. and instantly, instantly fell in love. That was that. That's when my Disney crazy really turned up. I've always had a, a lean towards the dark side of things. You know, I love. Halloween is my favorite holiday, and I love horror movies and old B-horror movies, and certainly the Legend of Sleepy Hollow video, or I guess you would call it cartoon, that Disney put out in the 50s, and all the, the, the creepy side of Disney, the Haunted Mansion is one of the things that I remembered a lot as loving as a kid. I had the book and the record with the sounds on it from the Haunted Mansion that we, my dad and I would play at Halloween and, and, and all of that. And so then now, as an adult in 1998, I'm able to walk through the park once again now as an adult and get those experiences and go through the mansion and, and then the Tower of Terror. I mean, come on. I mean, again, Twilight Zone, just another one of my my absolute loves, you know. So just as I say, it's been kind of like a vampire on my neck, this you know, through my entire life. Not so much a bug bite, but you know, more this this thing that has always clinged to me, so to speak. It certainly has that effect on people. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. right, well, I, I'm yeah, going to call sure. in an audible here and and throw it over to Pat okay. for some some sports questions. Hey, Pat. Hi, Kevin. Um, I, I, I got to say, you know, I love our when we go back and forth on Facebook about the Patriots and all that. So when I found out that you were actually coming on our podcast and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. You know, I was really excited about it. And not just because of the art. I, you know, I love the art. I love looking at I, what I really love about a lot of the things that you're saying, how, you know, the realism and all that. I love when you post stuff on Facebook and you know, I, like during the like the process and just seeing like the layers and everything that goes into it, because I, I, you know, I'm a teacher and I, I draw stick figures on the board, and that's about as much as I can do with art. So to see that process is just amazing. So you know, I love the art, but I love the sports too. So we got to get into that as well. Oh, thank you, Pat. Thank you. I, I love sharing my process with people. I always have. I think that it's an important part of of marketing my art. People won't, maybe won't know right offhand, but I really built my brand prior to coming on board with Disney with sports art. It was pro athletes and their teams commissioning me to create action portraiture paintings of them for their use, uh, either for uh, marketing purposes or merchandise or just to collect it themselves and have it in their rec rooms, that, that sort, of, sort of thing. So along with marketing that, I love to be able to show the process. Um, we would go to training camps, and I did a five-year stint with ESPN where I was creating art live on the sidelines of different sporting events and major sports-related events throughout the year. And people being able to see the process, to see it start with a blank canvas and then this image appear and over time eventually look like, you know, the athlete that I was trying to portray or whatever subject that was that I was trying to portray and and paint, it fascinates people. I think that too much people see the end product and they don't, they don't understand why there is a $6,000 price tag on it, you know, Mm -hmm. well, come with me and allow me (laughs) to show you the exactly what goes into creating this piece and why you're going to pay that at the end with social media 
I'm able to invite people into my studio every day and not only build momentum and excitement towards new releases of new pieces, but along with that, I'm giving them a look at exactly what goes into developing these pieces. Hundreds of hours in concept sketches and reworks and practicing. I mean, I'm painting sand right now for a piece that I'm doing for a festival back home in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I'm painting sand on a beach. And I probably have five or six different variations tests of, of just sand, you know, so I get the color right and the, and the shading and, and the, the right texture. You know, you wouldn't think that that would go into it. It's like sand. Okay, you grab some brown paint, grab a John, you grab some, <laughs> you know, some, some ochre paint, right? You slap it on there, all wicked awesome, like, right? And, and and no, no, no. Actually, I'm grabbing some purple. So shut up. You know, uh, you have no idea what I'm doing, right? But but I'm going to show you. So welcome into my studio. Let me show you. So anyway, it gives the collectors and the viewers and the new people to my brand. Uh, a really, really unique look into into what it takes to to create these pieces. Yeah, and, and your sport pieces, they they are they are ridiculous. You know, I own a Tom Brady piece, and it was just it's one of those things that they're they're lifelike, yet you could put their paint. It's just this weird combination that they, they look awesome and it's amazing like you could just see the process and you could you can tell in, in all your work you know anything that i've seen you know the time and effort and and i think it really has helped me with you putting the stuff on facebook that really is the process like i i was one of those guys i'm not going to say oh you know just throw you know brown on there it's sand you know i wasn't that <laughs> right. bad but you know but i i would say i had no idea to make something like you did like with your tiki room or with the hat box ghost the, the the painstaking process it is amazing so you know I, I i thoroughly have gained an appreciation for artists like yourself their work it's just it, it's it's really awesome thank you thank you so much then that brady piece is one of my favorite pieces too over and above it all that guy is hands down one of my all-time favorite players i'm a huge fan of the nfl i love the history of the of the NFL. I, I mean, I can talk 1940s football with you if you want. And I just think that he is really, really, if not the greatest, one of the top two greats ever to play in that position. And, and it was an honor to be able to depict him a couple of different times. I actually painted his portrait for, uh, it was my first Super Bowl in, let's see, it was 2004, I think it was, when the Patriots played the Eagles in the Super Bowl, and uh, I, I did uh, a portrait of Tom for that, uh, for ESPN for that event as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, that, that's a good one to have, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, you get tapped into two of my loves, the Patriots and, and Disney, so, you know, it's, it's actually, it's pretty <laughs> awesome. But I do have to ask you this, you. you being from Erie, how did you become mm -hmm. a Patriots or a Ravens fan? Because even when we were going back and forth about the draft, you know, you were all excited about the Patriots. You're all excited about the Ravens. So where where yeah. where did those two come from? I know as sports fans, especially diehard football fans, they just want to, they want to choke me, and I understand <laughs> that. You know, how can you like two teams? You know, and you're from Erie in Pennsylvania. Shouldn't you like the Spillers? You know, I, <laughs> I was going to ask I, that. I get yeah. it. I I, <laughs> I get it. I'm kind of like Dorothy, okay? I got a peek behind the curtain, and I saw the wizard. And not only the wizard, but all the wizard's minions. 
And working with all the different teams and the different players that I came to work with over a 30-year period of time, you gain an appreciation for not just the team that's in your hometown or that's closest to your hometown, but you gain an appreciation for all these different athletes across the league. And not only that, but, you know, how can I have allegiance to one team when guys from other teams are hiring me to create artwork for them? You know, how can I wish them ill on the field? Carol Owen commissions a piece, and now I'm interested in this new guy. I mean, I, I vaguely knew who he was. He had just completed his rookie year, and he's commissioning a painting. And so now I'm going to pay attention to what he's doing, you know, on Monday nights or whatever. And, wow, he's pretty dang good. And you watch different players, and then you get to know them. You, they're clients. They become, some become friends, and you do the same golf tournaments together and charity events and that sort of thing. So you establish these relationships. Along the way, as I said, um, my first Super Bowl was the Patriots-Eagles. And I met Brady, who absolutely slid into the room. The guy is cooler <laughs> than the farm. And, and I really, I mean, I've been around a lot of athletes, but this guy was not only one of the kindest people and most genuine, eye contact, made you feel like you were the only person in the room talking to him, but clearly, clearly hands down the coolest character in the place. I mean, no, nowhere had I met a more just exudes confidence and that champion attitude that, that he's the guy in the white hat. I mean, he's the lone freaking ranger. <laughs> and, and he exuded that. So I became an instant fan of him. Then you take a look at the model for that team and how you've got guys like Mike Vrabel, who the Steelers drafted as a defensive end. They made him a linebacker. Then they didn't want to, then they couldn't use him at all. And Coach Belichick takes this guy and he makes him an all pro linebacker in catching touchdowns as a tight end in the Super Bowl. I mean, yep. what in the hell is going on, right? So yep. I love that too. Again, being a football guy, I was a player, I was a coach. And loving the history of football and, and the way different groundbreaking coaches, the Sid, Sid Luckmans of the world, changed the game. Uh, this is a guy in, in Belichick who, who changes the game in terms of the way that he pulls different elements out of different players. I'm very excited to see what he's going to do with these quarterbacks slash wideouts slash running backs that he picked up last week in the draft. This is going to be very interesting. Hell on wheels. So that's why I like the Patriots. The Ravens, because they're just badass. You know, I mean, I know that this is a Disney podcast, but I'm a Pennsylvania guy. I grew up with football on Lake Erie. When it was 35 below in September, you've got, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're playing in snow and mud, and you're freezing your tail off. And the best thing you can do is run up and nail the other guy in the mouth and knock him on his keister. And that's how the Ravens play football. And I, I just love that. Not to mention that favorite athlete of all time, Rod Woodson, played defensive back for them as well and, that, and got a ring with them. So, I mean, Ray Lewis is a client. I mean, again, you know, there's so many other reasons why. But, you know, I also have love for the Green Bay Packers because of their history and who can't love Aaron Rodgers and the type of player that he is. And then, of course, then there are the villains, the teams that I really don't like. And we're not going to get into that. You can follow yeah. me on Facebook and <laughs> watch me torture and barbecue stellar fans on a regular basis. So, 
we don't there wanna, he is. I said it. Yeah, we don't want to alienate <laughs> any uh, potential clients. So, right. yeah, we'll, right. we'll keep that one. Uh, oh man, bleep. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, edit button. Edit button. Quick. Yeah. Oh. I know. You can, I know see, that. you can see I'm more passionate about football than I am about art. Art is my job. Football is something I, I just love to talk about. Yeah, exactly. And you can tell. And that's the one, you know, when, when Greg told me you were coming on, that was the thing. I'm like, oh, we're going to talk sports. And he's I just knew, knew, no doubt about it, you were going to get into that and really, yeah. sh- really show your passion for it. And what you're saying, it all does really yeah. make a lot of sense. I'm, I, you know, I'm always, you know, you like who you like, whatever it is, what it is. But at least your process, your ideas there, it, it all makes perfect sense because it, it's cool. hard when you're on the inside to actually be able to do that. That's why you'll see or you'll hear sport commentators, you know, they're like, well, I'm not really a fan of the team I go for because I'm in there, but I'm on the inside, but I like right. certain people or I like this and I respect my organization. But deep down inside, you know, they're homers. They do like the team, but they just can't say it because they're on the inside. So when you see all these people and especially see what they're like and the good guys working, you're working with, you know, I, I would probably like, you know, five, six, seven teams too. So, but I don't think they want stick figure drawing. So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> could be a whole new thing you never know <laughs> uh, yeah absolutely if anybody wants to hire me just you know find me on facebook we're all set no problem that's right well i'm going to jump us back into into the art realm for just just a bit there seems to be a stereotype sure. surrounding people in that field as an artist designer myself people seem to think that we're quiet or introverted tend to be loners or whatnot but in your case you're like the complete opposite of that. We had talked about your activity on social media and meeting fans in the parks. And what I'm curious to know is as an artist, have you always put yourself out there and and made yourself available to uh, your fans or do you find it to be a necessity from a business perspective? No, well, well, yes to both. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think it's a necessity, but yes, I've always done it and I love it. I think early on, and I mean, I'm talking when I was a child, it was the way that I became, that I was able to become special in people's eyes. I wasn't a funny kid. I wasn't a smart kid. I wasn't, as a young boy, I wasn't an athlete, as a real young kid. I wasn't any of those things. I was, the way that I was going to endear myself to my classmates was because I could do something that they couldn't and that was draw. It didn't always work out well for me. I mean there was there were times where my little drawings were torn up and defaced and but it was also that opportunity for me to gain admiration from the other kids. So I showed off my art and that became my personality. So that, there was that, and that kind of followed me then. As I got into high school, and I grew into a confident person, I think I found myself and found who I was a lot sooner than a lot of other kids that I knew. Mm-hmm. I think before, you know, before even walking into the doors of my freshman year in high school, I think I, I knew who I was. And now, along with being that confident person and knowing who I was, I also had this ability to, to create beautiful things that people love to look at or exciting things that people love to look at. I found joy in the eyes of people when I would create art for them. 
and whether that be classmates or girlfriend or whatever. But again, no one's going to know you're an artist. No one's going to know you have that ability if you don't show it off. Exactly. You know, it drives me drives me crazy when I'll, I'll meet these wonderfully gifted artists and they say, "Oh yeah, but I don't want to show anybody my work." Mm-hmm. You know what? What are you talking about? Uh, how how do you expect to make a living doing this if you're not going to let anyone see your work? Oh, I won't show anyone my sketchbook. Well, what the hell? What what's the worst that can happen? They don't know any different. You know what I yeah. I don't know. It just it just never made sense to me. By nature, I am I'm an extrovert, I guess. So being able to show my art and do and to brand myself along with that has just always come naturally to me. When I started selling my artwork professionally, again, I was still in high school. I'll never forget the first art festival that I did, and so I'm all set up there and got my prints ready to sell and well i'm going to work this is my job so dress for your job don't mm-hmm. show up in ragged jeans and look like you have 45 cents to your name i was there at a summer festival of the arts in 85 degree and 100 humidity in a suit in a tent <laughs> with artwork wow. i know that that sounds ridiculous but my idea was, uh, this is not a hobby. This is my profession. How do other professional people that I know dress when they go to work? How do they conduct themselves? How do they treat what they do? I felt I was no different than that surgeon that has a special talent and the mental capacity to handle the science and the hand dexterity to you know, perform the surgery I felt me no different than that person. I'm equally as talented. I have a capacity for being able to render things that I see with my eyes on canvas and the hands in which to do it. So I don't regard myself as as an artist with, and this is just a hobby and this is something I'm going to struggle with to get by. And no, to hell with that. This is what I do. This is this is how I'm going to make my living and I'm a professional, damn it, and I and I wanna be paid and I wanna be, be paid well and this is how we're gonna go about doing this. I looked at what other artists did and I decided I'm going to do the opposite of everything that I saw out there. <laughs> what I did was look at other people who were earning their living with their I, I guess you would call them, you know, God given talents and as professionals and model my company after that. You look at athletes and actors and musicians and authors. You look at how they promote themselves, how they conduct themselves professionally. We're going to run our company that way because I'm no different than that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, instead of singing or performing surgery, I am, I am creating something on canvas. So... It's just it just made sense to me. Anybody can do whatever they want and they can they can portray themselves and portray their brand however they want. But my brand was not going to be a handwritten sign on a card table set up at a flea market hawking prints. We weren't gonna do that. That's my philosophy. And and putting the art and the brand and the personality out there I think was all part of it. 
again, what it all comes down to, we're selling things here. And the merchandise that I'm selling just happens to be artwork. But what does any good business owner do? He talks to the prospective client. He tells his or her story. He builds up the, the benefits and the features of his or her product. And he hopes to close the sale. And I felt, well, why not just why not use that pattern and that, that philosophy for, for art? just made sense to me. I think that's you know a great way to look at it, and one thing that you know as being like I said, as being a teacher, for you to have that perspective when you were in high school, um, an eighty-five degree day in a suit and all that, you know, that's amazing. That's a philosophy or an idea or a maturity that you, you don't see really that much anymore, or you see it in the really special slash talented slash gifted people like the, the ones that really get it. So, you know, I, I really wish I saw that more than I do um, with today's youth. But, you know, I think it's a phenomenal thing that you started it from high school thinking about it that way. Thank you. Well, I, and I can't completely take credit for it either. I got a lot of wonderful guidance from my art teacher who was a wonderful woman who was really, really up in her career. I mean, she retired two years after I graduated from high school. So she was really at the end of her career, could have could have cashed it in and just really let all of us coast. Uh, the first project I turned into her, my uh, the beginning of my junior year, she gave me a C minus. Maybe it was a D plus. It may have been a D plus. I'll have to <laughs> I'll have to look back at that. But nevertheless, I was thinking, what the hell is this woman thinking? That was kind of my attitude. I was always the best artist in my class and among, you know, my peers. Who does this woman think that she is if she's failing me on this art project? What she was doing was pushing me. And not only that, but she also taught me to place value in the artwork. When clubs or uh, other teachers would come to the art department and say, hey, we need a sign for the pep rally. How'd the art department love to put one of those together for us? She would say, sure, absolutely, it's going to cost you $35, and you can pay that student right there because he's the one that's going to do it. Awesome. She always established a value to what we were doing. Never did we do artwork for free. And then, of course, I have to credit my parents. I had to have a part-time job in high school. I would leave football practice and shower, and they would drive me, or I'd drive myself up to the, the mall, and I worked in retail. I sold shoes. And that's what I did after school every day, after football practice or whatever I was, other activity I was involved in. And guess what? When you reported to that job, yeah, you wore a, a shirt and a tie and you acted in a professional manner. You learned how to sell and then you learned customer service and then you learned product knowledge and, and you learned how to you know, learn about the store budget and all of those things. Again, those were all lessons that I applied to my business as soon as it started running just not too long after that. I, I don't know if people pay attention to that kind of stuff anymore. I don't know, I don't know how many high school kids really take their part-time job seriously. And I don't know if they're, if they're made to either. Ask a kid to show up to a part-time retail job in a shirt and tie now and see what happens. Um, and this wasn't that long ago. This really wasn't that long ago. So I can't take credit for it. It was just stuff that I was taught along the way that it made sense to me to apply it to my business. You guys said such thoughtful and eloquent things. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, this is some great professional career advice. We should sell this podcast. <laughs> 
absolutely. My <laughs> agent will negotiate a contract with you Fantastic. for a percentage of the royalty. <laughs> All right. We will hook that up. <laughs> in, in all seriousness though I, that's not a bad idea <laughs> well it is fantastic advice and, and I hope that uh, we, we get a lot of people listening to it thank you alright and I have I have one other question that I kind of you know again going back to the Facebook and seeing things that you've put on there you know you grew up in Erie sure. you were talking about before about it being you know freezing out snow and all this stuff but yet you're in Florida and you're in this warm tropical climate and all of a sudden you have all these tropical flowers everywhere right? <laughs> and, and you just show these pictures and i'm just like i hate him it's four degrees here and he's got these beautiful flowers so where did you get your green thumb from like i don't see how a boy from pennsylvania in negative 35 degrees can do what you do with these flowers that, it, that's just by accident, man. I'll tell you, we um, I moved here going to be four years ago, and it was just because, really, because I wanted to get out of the cold. I live on the east coast of Florida. There's a barrier island with all these little towns on the. I live in this little town called India Atlantic, and it's and the ocean is my front yard, and and five blocks to the back are the lagoons that separate the island from the mainland. And it's subtropical. If you draw a line directly east from Orlando, from Walt Disney World, all the way to Cape Canaveral, hit the water, and then 14 miles south. That's where I live. And this really, they call it a subtropical climate. So it never gets below, oh, geez, if it gets below 60 here, ever, that's oh. really cold. Most of the time, it's 85, 95 degrees with this great, wonderful, salty air that blows off the ocean. And it's just, it's really paradise for me, especially, as you said, a guy grew up on Lake Erie with four foot of snow in May. So we got here, uh, and my girlfriend and I, we love going to estate sales and yard sales and collecting odd stuff. And uh, they were selling, this lady was selling me sticks. They were like these sticks. It looked like a stick is what it was. It was just a <laughs> stick. And she, she was selling it for a buck. And I'm like, okay, a well, cause we needed some Florida, it was a stick, you know, we needed some Florida plants. So we bought some plants from her, but then she wants me to buy one of these sticks for a buck. And I'm like, what in the hell is this? And she <laughs> said, well, these are Hawaiian plumeria. And I said, well, what is that? She said, well, you know, the, the Hawaiian lays the Hawaiian people will make out of flowers. I'm like, yeah. She said, well, they grow here wild. And, uh, well, not necessarily wild, but they grow here because the climate is so similar to that of Hawaii, they flourish here because of the salty air and everything and the moisture and the heat of the sun and all that kind of stuff. So you just take this stick and you, you stick it in a pot and then in a couple of months it's going to start to bloom. Yeah, okay, whatever. So I buy the stick and I'm like, yeah, I'm down with flowers, whatever. That, that could be cool. And I never really had a green thumb before. So I stuck this thing in a pot and I stuck it in my studio and six months went by and nothing was happening. Well, this is what we consider the cold climate here, October, maybe November, December, you know, below seven. And nothing is happening with this stick. So then I stick it outside and I'm ready to toss it away. I stick it outside of my studio and, and sitting out there. And, and like I say, it's really just this little thing. And all of a sudden, as, as the weather starts getting warmer, this thing starts leafing, and the mania begins. 
this thing eventually grows and these gorgeous flowers come out of it and they smell amazing. And then what we discover is there's like these plumeria plants that you can purchase or, or find or trade for all over the island here. And they grow into these gorgeous, like, miniature trees. And they're all different varieties of color and scent and, and everything. So we started propagating. We were plumeria propagators. So we started, we started uh, growing these things. Basically, we just get a bunch of sticks and nurture them. And we've got our own secrets that we plant them with. And whatever we're doing, we, it's working because we've got, like, I think we've got 50 of them now. Wow. And they're all different varieties. And there's... They're, they're, it's pretty cool, man. It's the island, man. It's the tropics. <laughs> Gotta yeah. have flowers. They yeah, I'm looking out I'm over not, the yard, you know. <laughs> I'm looking out my window right now at a dead pine tree and a tree <laughs> and another tree that just refuses to bloom anything because it won't break 50 degrees right now. Yeah, okay. I hear you, man. Let me, I lived it. I know. I know. Um, you know, we would get. We would get about 35 days of sunlight in Erie, Pennsylvania, and that was on a good year, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking, Pat? What are you thinking, Greg? I'm thinking road trip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You, Absolutely. Come down, spend you the are day, the go to the beach. whisperer, I tell you. <laughs> wow. They are beautiful. Absolutely I, beautiful. I, I whisper dirty things to them, but that's, that's is that between the me and the Plumeria. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind. Right. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. You were marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, well, sadly, our time is almost up here tonight. But before we bring this show to a close, we like to put our guests to the test with a series of rapid-fire questions that we call the Piston Cup Challenge. So, oh. Kevin John, do you have a little time to go through the challenge with us? Absolutely. That All right. Great. Do you have your engine started? It is revved and ready. You are ready to go. All right. Hey, Pat, yeah. uh, let's put 30 seconds on the clock. And, Kevin John, your goal is to make it around the track before time is up. And what we'll do is we can go through our list of questions and see if we can get through all of them. And uh, we've got quite a stack of questions here. So okay. if you're ready, Pat, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Pat. Get right. ready. Get set. Floor it. Fill in the blank. If you were not an artist, what would you be? A, a really slow football player. <laughs> all right. Cooler sounding art word. Gesso, rapidograph, or gicle. Oh, it, that, you know, I got to go back to my roots for pitograph. All right. What is the best drink on Walt Disney property? Kungaloosh. Hmm, nice. The better KJ nickname, the Royal Baron of Brushstrokes or <laughs> Wizard of Watercolors? Wizard of Watercolors. Awesome. Better entertainment, your tiki bar or the tiki room? Oh, hands down, the Mono Tiki Tea Lounge. Hands down. All right, we're coming into the home stretch here. We've got to hurry up. The best horror movie villain, Jason, Freddy, or Michael Myers? It's not even. It's not even a contest. Michael Myers. I knew you'd he say was that. The first. Yeah. And finally, if we can get it in, the best walk-up song, "Eye of the Tiger" or "Final Countdown." Oh, I, I have the tiger. I have the tiger. Awesome. Oh, man. All right. You accepted the Piston Cup Challenge, and you know what? We just made it in time. There's like a few tenths of a seconds left to spare. Wow. 
I am waving it proudly over my head. Thank yes. you very much. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap things up, I'd like to uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. What is your web address? Uh, the best place is kevinjohn.com. It's kevin-john.com. And from there, you can find links to my Facebook, my Twitter. We are under construction. It's up and running, but we're actually going to launch a brand new version of kevinjohn.com within the coming weeks. So that's very exciting. But find me there. And friend me, friend me on Facebook. That's where I live every day. Up to you, really, we do giveaways on on Fan Reward Wednesdays and all kinds of fun stuff. We just find me and friend me on Facebook through my KevinJohn.com page. You won't regret it. And your work is available for purchase on the website, correct? Yeah, yeah. There'll be well, there's a there'll be a link to the store through there. The store direct link is KevinJohnStudio.com. Um, and that is all of my non-Disney work and my my Disney compliment pieces. Any of the Disney art that I create for the company is exclusive through Disney Parks. Awesome. Well, that's going to bring this episode of The Corner Chat to a close. Kevin John, thanks once again for joining us. It's been a lot of fun getting to know you. We've had a great time. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. We'll, uh, let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. And hey, Pat, since we're talking about it, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Daily Walt Disney, and you can find me on Facebook at Pat Genetti. And you can find me on Twitter at Gene Nevis, and of course on Facebook at Greg Nevis. And if you like what you hear, please be sure to head on over to iTunes and rate and review us. It's your feedback which helps other listeners find us and keep us climbing the ranks. Before I go, though, I have a riddle that you might appreciate, Kevin John. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Yes. How many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? I, I, I don't know. How many? Tentacles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Crash that's and good. burn. That's, Crash that's and very burn. good. No, no, no. I, I give you I give you a little golf clap for that. I like yes. that. It's All a, right. Nice golf clap. All right. On behalf of Pat, the Mickey Dudes Podcast crew, and our special guest, Disney Master Artist Kevin John Jabinski, thank you for tuning in. Have a great evening, everyone, and we'll see you next time in the corner chat. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much. Oh, you're more than welcome, guys. Thank we you so much. your time greatly. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. You've just listened to another exciting episode of the Mickey Dudes Podcast. You can find the Mickey Dudes on Facebook at the Mickey Dudes Podcast and on Twitter at the Mickey Dudes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share the love on Stitcher or iTunes. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again real soon.